We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Arsenal lose at home to West Ham, as unfortunately it turns out we needed 33 shots. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Alex Smith. You me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. I assure you, the next three shots we would have taken would have gone in. We were due, as they say. And so if we had not had 30 shots, but in fact 33 shots, we would have won 3-2. Alas, just the 30 shots and the no goals. Um, according to Scott's data, we were more likely statistically to score five than to score zero. Uh, read somewhere that we had the same expected goals against West Ham that we had against Sheffield United. And in that game, we did indeed score five. There's the question, however, though, of the quality of the chances, where they're coming from, how the tempo of our attack, are we getting into the right positions? I think <clears throat> it is time to ask some difficult questions about whether something's broken. Is something broken in the way we attack? Or is something broken with the players we have an attack? Or is it form? Is it just form? And as fans, we are so bad at zooming out because we are so emotionally invested in what's happening game to game. And we tend to zoom so close in that we think the thing that just happened is the most important thing that will ever happen. And I think all of those things have merit. And so we're going to try to talk about all those things. I think there's merit to the question of how we attack. I think there's merit to the question of the quality of our attackers. I think there's merit to the question of whether it's just form. And you have to execute in both boxes. I'm going to do the pod solo to... No, I'm kidding. Here with me now is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. And Clive. You can find him on Twitter at Clive PC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. There will be a pod coming out immediately following this pod. It's a bonus pod. I talked to Daniel Freiba, uh from the Cycling Podcast. He's written many books on cycling, one of the most well-respected cycling journalists in the world. And he has covered Ineos closely over the years, knows David Railsford closely. And I think know thine enemy, right, is is a saying for a reason. We want to know what's happening at United because while it is a hilarious clown car of disaster over there now, we want to know if it will continue to be one. Um, so much like we covered Todd Bowley's acquisition of Chelsea, we want to cover the Ineos involvement at United. And so it's an interesting 45-minute conversation about what to expect from them. And that'll be out right after 
this over on Patreon. We did an instant reaction last night. We're now doing those live and doing them on video. So that's kind of a fun little innovation we're doing. Less fun when we've lost, more fun when we win. But, you know, it is what it is. But what we also do is we then are able to add your headline stock rising and stock falling into the show via the medium of video. <clears throat> which is an interesting and exciting breakthrough in technology. More on this on our technology podcast later. We have Fulham at the weekend, um, chance to right some wrongs and go into a long Premier League break uh, on a winning note, but a downbeat occasion yesterday. And it's going to be a effort not to throw the baby out with the bathwater analyzing this game because, frankly, it feels like the end. I saw people saying, oh, you know, can we finish third? And you look at it like we're ahead of City in the table. If they win their game in hand, we're level with them. We're two points back of Liverpool. Liverpool come to the Emirates. And the the attitude is we're out of the title race. It's a very, very whipsaw kind of feeling. <clears throat> but I understand it too, because we've gotten used to this idea in recent years that you cannot drop points and still win a title. We will see if that remains the case. Um, Clive, I want to start by by asking you this. As you think mm. about that game, the three areas that I talked about, an issue with our attack, an issue with our attackers, an issue with our form. I think most of us would agree that the attack is the locus of the problem. I realize we conceded two goals and we'll come on to those goals in a minute. But as you sit here thinking about it today, do you find yourself concerned that there is something broken in the attack? We have done a lot of pods, even winning pods where we've talked about not creating as much as we should from attacking moves, Brighton comes to mind. In this game, it really came home to roost. So how are you thinking about the issue of the attack and the challenges <clears throat> that we've had in attack? Systemic or, or maybe something less or more? Um, there's a few things here, um, as always. Um, did be walk today, <laughs> did some thinking, and the Brighton game was a game that came into my mind, and I was sitting there watching this game thinking, hey, man, it's going to be Brighton all over again. Literally, I was for the first 10, 15 minutes. Did not have one inch of worry in my body. You know, and and the Brighton game, Elliot, did the IR from the ground, and basically I thought this was near perfection from an Arteta game plan, how he plays, the way we play. We we probably left a goal or two out there. No drama when you win 2 0. The praise is coming from the roof. Did a couple of chats with Scott. Scott was saying statistically, we are the best team in the league via his models. I've never seen him say that before. The all the time I've known him, we've never been that team before. And I actually uttered those words. I think we feel like the best team. That was literally a week ago. So here we are after a home defeat, a painful one. And we are doing what we do, which we're allowed to do. We're fans, right? We invest, we hope for a win, we expect a win, particularly at home. It didn't happen. So when I see the words like broken, form, I think, well, they, there's a hint of truth in all of that. There really is. And when you have certain situations that appear in a game, you then see how people react to those situations. And they don't always react to adversity as you'd hope they would. If we'd gone one and up, I'm sure we'd have galloped away and won this game. We had to come back. We didn't quite have the emotional intensity and anger in the box, ferocity to win the duels in both boxes to make sure that we can we scored and to make sure we certainly didn't concede what we did concede. And and that is the reason why none of us are millionaires. Because we can't predict all the scores every single week. 
<laughs> we can't believe it's going to happen. And that is the variance, Elliot, by which you know the football game is, right? And that's why we're absolutely obsessed and addicted to it <laughs> and barely can sleep <laughs> after, a, after a defeat. And difficult to explain, but we all know, we've all been here before, haven't we? Been in one of those games, but it hasn't quite worked. Yeah, I'll restate the game stats, although I, I think people know them already. And I, I want to be careful that this doesn't become a stats versus eye test kind of discussion. I think you can look at the stats of this game and still have concerns about how we attacked. Um, but it was 30 shots. It was five big chances. It was 2.7 expected goals, the same expected goals as we had against Sheffield United in our five-goal victory. Um, they had about 1.4 expected goals. Realized that the penalty at the end accounts for 0.8 of that. So really, more like 0.6 expected goals because you know the penalty doesn't, doesn't matter in the scheme of things. Um, and, you know, the... Statistically, uh, one of the mind-blowing stats, 77 touches in the opposition penalty box, the most in the history of the Premier League, any game that was recorded um, where a team did not score. Uh, 118 uh, deep completions versus 14 for them. They played one progressive pass in the game. So, I, I mean, it, it was dominance, but I think there are people, Paul, that would say, but it was slow dominance. It was ponderous dominance, that we weren't moving them around enough, that we weren't attacking enough. I, I'm curious if you would agree with that. Do you think that the attack is too willing to settle for wide positions where defenses are set and have numerical advantages and, and that we don't find the central spaces to pull teams around or the pace and tempo of our attack to create better quality chances rather than just a high volume of them? Hmm... See, the thing is, I don't think there's that, for me, there isn't that much difference between the eye test and the stats. Um, and Clive talked about how we were, uh, I'll come back to your, your point in my indirect way, Elliot, but uh, I got to set this up to, to kind of put my stake in the ground, which is inside their box. Look, we have a well-defined approach here, which is that I talk for three <laughs> minutes. There's no question at the end of it. You then talk for three minutes in no way related to what I've said. It's it's a very well-established pattern, and I don't see why we should change it. Oh, good, good. Okay, I am <laughs> answering you your question then. Um, the point about us j just recently being telling ourselves through stats, and I agree with you, Clive, um, I was pretty frustrated at times with my my uh, statting partner, uh, Scott, there in terms of when I thought we were good last year and he kept saying, but we're not the best team in the league. Uh, and this season, uh, for a period recently, uh, we haven't checked in with him for a day or two, but we were the best team in the league. What we did on the right-hand side of the pitch Go back and look at it, everybody, if you th didn't think that was good. The, my biggest concern with this team was that players like Saka, Odegaard, J Jesus weren't there, weren't clicking, weren't doing their thing with Ben White joining in. What we did on the right-hand side of the pitch was some of the most masterful interplay that we have ever put together. It's absolutely astounding, some of the play. We lived in the, that right-hand corner of their box. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have frustrations. Uh, I'm sure there are people there thinking, but so what? So what if it was masterful play on the right-hand side of the pitch? 
we didn't manage to turn it into stuff. Well, we kind of did. We had a number of really good opportunities that were just slightly off. And they had an opportunity, which I think was out of play, that we didn't defend particularly well, and they scored from it. And then they scored halfway through the game, sorry, halfway through the second half. And outside of that, they did almost nothing. I think our centre-backs were absolutely on it for almost every aspect of this game. I think there's so many parts of this team that were working so well yesterday but people will feel so what you didn't turn it into anything. You made your two, three big moments and you didn't put them away. And with all your smaller moments, you didn't put them away. And I do have my concerns. Uh, My concerns are the left-hand side just took so long to click. Um, I do think it came into the game a bit, but I probably wouldn't have started Martinelli. I would have played my other left winger because he's a little bit out of it at the moment, but we don't have another left winger. So I have my concerns. I have my concerns in the fact that we can't freshen things up from the sides. I have my concerns that the bench was three guys from the academy that we haven't trusted for a while. Um, like There are concerns from this game, but mm-hmm. my biggest concern until recently was that we didn't seem to be able to play at the level that we have played at our best at times last year. Now we can do it all over the pitch. We can we have a defense and a midfield that's ahead of last year and our attack from the right-hand side, and it's always been from the right side, um, is, is hitting those levels and more. I think they're more synchronous than ever before. Now, there's plenty to say to your point about swi- the, the speed at which we switch it, attacking through the middle and attacking through the left. I don't think through the middle is our problem. Um, and as I said in the IR, this was the classic game for Havertz as the left eight coming in, picking up those clipped uh, crosses from the right or the swung crosses from Saka. This was absolutely his game, and this is the price of his cheeky little yellows when he tugs a shirt in a game. He's, he's basically about a game short of skipping his his automatic suspension. We needed a Kai Havertz on that left post. Mm. I I think there is absolutely truth to that. But I think we have a fundamental attacking problem this season. I I've watched every game like everybody else. I think we and it's not just a finishing problem. I think we blow too many good dangerous attacking moves where we don't even get a shot out of those attacking moves. And I do think that there's some structural problems. I think it's a bit of the three. I think there's some structural problems with our attack. I think there's some talent issues with our players. And I think there's some form issues. I think it's a little from column A, B, and C. Um, There was a stat in this game that I think is interesting, by the way. We attempted 21 take-ons and completed four. When you look at Manchester City and Liverpool, one of the things you have to do against a low block sometimes, you have to beat a first man so another man has to come out of his position, and that creates chaos. On the season, we average about 40% take-on success. Last night, we were under 20%. They defended really well in the 1v1s and the 2v1s, really well. And actually, for the season, if you look at it, City and Liverpool are quite a bit better than us in take-on percentage. City are 54% successful in their take-ons. Liverpool, 42%. We're 40%. But last night, well, well below our best taking them on. And I do think when you have such a compact defense, someone's got to win. That's how you create space. Someone has to win. 
I also think you have to switch the point of attack quicker. I think you have to go look at what, what does City and Liverpool do really well. I think they go central to go wide. I think we're too comfortable going wide early. But here is a, here is a bit of a scary stat for me on the season that I think is worth noting. You guys, this is pretty wild. We have 11 set-piece goals. We have 18 open play goals this season. That's fewer than Chelsea, Wolves, Forest, Fulham, Bournemouth, West Ham. Obviously Spurs, Newcastle, Villa, Liverpool, Brighton, and City. That's not a lot. That's not a lot of open play goals. We don't have a lot of open play XG. Now, set-piece goals count. In fact, they're the best, uh, I think, identifier of coaching because, right, that's that's where your coaching is emphasized in your player execution. But, Clive, I, I, I do want to come on to the incidents, but before we get into the incidents, I, I want to ask you about player performance. I already gave you the, the dribble stats. We know that Saka missed two big chances in this game. We know that Jesus missed two big chances. Martinelli missed a big chance. I thought Trissard was wasteful in his moments. I think there are people that would tell you if we had Salah or Holland, we'd be top by miles. <coughs> These are young players. They're still developing, not Jesus so much, but certainly our wide players. I, I think Andrew said on the Arscast that we're 12 games without Saka scoring a goal, something like that, or, or it's one goal in 12 games from Saka, actually fewer than Martinelli in that period. So is there a concern here that we maybe don't have the firepower we'd like to believe we have in this young attacking group? And that it does need to be reinforced for us to get where we want to go. Mm, I think we may need some reinforcements. I think we've all sort of guessed that for a while. We've been using the Haylenders to supplement this group. And they're in various stages of form, trust, and fitness themselves, right? And Trussard is the next man up. He seems to be better off the bench than he does from the start. And Havertz, we were simulating into the team... Fair enough, he probably convinced more people last night that he's part of our team than any other night, and he didn't actually play, right? Because because we can see the game state suited him perfectly. So the balance of our front five, when all fit and healthy and fresh, looks really quite good, actually. I, I really like it. Because um, you've got the size, you've got the speed, you've got the one-on-one, you've got the creativity, you've got everything. You've got the ability to rotate and, and change positions. And... I sometimes feel that yet when we're in these situations where we haven't scored, what we tend to do, and I'll include myself in this, so it's, a, it's the, the royal we, shall we say, what we tend to do is we lurch away from the beautiful positional play, the interchangeability at Brighton when we were perfect, apart from maybe a goal. And then when we don't score in a different game state, you know what we do? We lurch back to tradition. And we start thinking about a centre-forward again, one-dimensional players. And maybe that is part of our evolution of our team. But also, I ask myself the question, does, you know, a week or so ago, I was mentioning the fact that we have 11 midfielders that could all move around. When we're 2-0 when down at home, in my body, I was screaming for a centre-forward. You know, and so we lurched between tradition and, and the modern... No position way, positional football, if that makes sense. You know, and I think that's it. And we're fighting our ourselves in this. And sometimes football is that simplistic that you look at the pitch and you look at a Trossard, look at a Jesus, look at an Odegaard, and they lack presence. Right? If you add to that indifferent form from Martinelli, 
And Saka, I heard you guys in the IR, you know, of all the team, of all our front group, Saka's the one that's closest to last year's numbers. So I would move him out of this discussion. I think he's he's the, he's the one with the most goal contributions. If you look at Martinelli, Jesus, they've dropped away. Look at Odegaard, he's dropped away, but he's now part of our build-up. Why is he part of our build-up? Because Declan Rice drops outside of the block, plays outside of the block, so Odegaard's got to step into the tulips and play into the block and be part of our build-up. So we've lost our 15-goal-scoring player from the edge of the box, and when he was the edge of the box, people say he's taking too many shots. Right, so, so something is missing, form-wise and personnel-wise for me. Um, and some, again, football can be very, very simple. It's, I think we do, we do have a problem on our left-hand side. And this team is wired to go to go right. The Declan Rice likes to take the ball. He sort of goes left and shots back right, and he fires that ball out to Saka. Bullet out of a gun. Right, Odegaard drops out of the central zone, receives the ball. What does he do? Intricate pass to Saka. They're off and running combination, and pulls bang on. By the way, some of the combination play in that right hand side was a dream. Literally a dream. What does Ben White do when he gets the ball? He brings the ball forward, inverted pass inside, onto Saka on the move. Perfection. Now I want you to tell me three or four combinations you can remember on the left-hand side of this pitch. Mm. You can't. There isn't any sort of uniformity or or structure or strategy on the left-hand side. And hence why I've been having a little bit of a chip at Zinchenko. Because I don't know what's coming out of his boots and when it's coming out. But I don't. Can you read it? I can't. Right? So, and Havertz is not a ball progressor. He's somebody that you progress the ball to. So, Zinchenko's role becomes critical. Absolutely critical. Because he is the chief ball progressor on the left-hand side of the pitch. Now, I see lots of tweets out there. You see things like, I'll tear out, cronky out. Get Shaka back. Right? You see all that. Come on. <laughs> oh, no, trust surely me. not. Just clean up your timeline. Do <laughs> don't I'm, go to the for you tab. Never go to the for you tab. Don't I, I, do that. I bumped into talk sports today. I don't know what happened. And uh, <laughs> basically, <laughs> but the one thing I will say that we missed this season is the is the partnership between Zinchenko and Shaka. Because those were the two that progressed the ball up the left-hand side. So Martinelli looks bereft at the moment. Is that fair? Fair, fair comment? Yeah, when a, completely when a bereft. Be, yep. when, when a player's bereft, I've got to be consistent. When Havertz was bereft, I was supporting him, and I gave reasons why he could, he could do better when he was getting better. Martinelli's bereft at the moment. He does not get the ball to his feet with any type of pace. Saka does. Mm. Martinelli doesn't. He's standing there and I'm watching him and he doesn't get the ball because he hasn't got a consistent service to him. If you want to unlock this attack, first things first, you have to unlock that left-hand side because the right-hand side is now being not double-teamed but triple-teamed. And that guy is now getting questioned, which is totally unfair. right? So, And the guy on the left does not get the ball in a consistent manner. There's nobody got a combination with him Apart from his mate Vieira at the moment, who's not who's not available, right? So, um, and that's it. So we have to fix that, and then we have to fix maybe how we backfill the centre forward role. Right, but I'll leave that bit of the conversation earlier. So, we generally, from a tactical point of view, I felt we had too many people playing outside the block, safe, 
standing behind the ball, four or five people behind the ball, West Ham standing there, barricading their box, nice and happy, smiling, looking around at Trossard, looking around at Odegaard and say, yeah, go on then, put the, put the ball in here. We're not worried. we got Bowen and Kudos waiting for when you mess up and we'll spring onto the attack. You're not going to move us. What do they do? They move outside of the central area. They want to receive it into space. They can turn around. They got We got done by a team with a good game plan that managed the game state really, really well. And sometimes you just got to accept we were beaten fairly and squarely on the first goals looked to be dodged. Fairly and squarely. We weren't kicked off the pitch. You know, we weren't bullied by the referee or anything like that. Fairly and squarely, we were beaten by a team yep. that managed the game state really, really well. And sometimes you've got to tip your hat to the opposition, I'm afraid. And look, I, in isolation, I would say this game is actually more reason to be encouraged than worried in the mm. sense that, once again, a good team came to the Emirates and was dominated in terms of every way you want to dominate a game. Touches in the box, shots, possession, high turnovers, everything you want to do in a game in terms of how you're supposed to win a game. I think we did. But execution in the box is where games are won. But the game isn't in isolation. And that's what makes it hard. I can absolutely side with anyone who says, Elliot, Tempest in a teapot. We played great. Football's weird. We got variants. It's fine. But I can also sympathize with anyone who says, no. No, I've seen us fail to convert good play into goals against Villa. I've seen us fail to convert good play against goals. I mean, in the Brighton game, guys, we get a goal from a set piece. Gross finds the side net when he should find the goal. Or we could be talking about the Brighton game the way we talked about the West Ham game. Mm -hmm. And it is, you know, a deflection off a face in the City game. And it is a hair's breadth of an offside against United. And it is a header in the 99th minute or 97th minute against uh, um, Luton. Now those, those count, <laughs> by the way, I'm not saying they don't count, but for all the dominance we have, our games are tighter than they should be. And that isn't Tempest in a teapot stuff. That isn't a one-off. Clive, it seemed like you wanted to come back in on that before I, I toss the next thing over to Paul. Yeah, I suppose I'm I'm not trying to defend anything because I did feel that the what happened against West Ham has awakened the undercurrent of people that feel just like you stated earlier that we we haven't scored enough on the control we have. It's what is woke at the people that don't that think we need a new forward or two. They're all coming to the forefront and then that's right. We we go through a period of grief, don't we, when we lose a game. And so you can feel this underlying, you know, it's underlying Trotsard's effectiveness from the start of games. You know, the conversations we have, they're being had elsewhere. Zinchenko's effectiveness around mistakes and defending, it's, it's, it's happening, mate. I'm in the ground, I'm listening. Mm -hmm. I'm listening. It's happening, you know. And um, there, there was a moment where I think he gave it away, and the crowd like moaned, and Arteta got visibly mad with the crowd kind of yeah. like don't get on our players backs but the the crowd reaction is not pre-thought it's organic and in that moment the frustration with Zinchenko was was palpable it's yeah. that simple and you know? this is what I was heading at it because I do think it's a game for data you know I don't always say that but I do on this occasion I think it's a very good day for data but you know what mate half the Arsenal world knows how many touches we had in their box I guarantee you everyone can quote the number right so mm -hmm. everyone can quote a number of shots and what that means is the light is now shining on an area of the pitch 
where we need those very same players to be relaxed, calm, and address the ball with real conviction, not with tension, not with lack of decision. And it worries me now that everyone's now talking about the thing we want the most to happen in a football match, which is scoring goals. And that's where the light is. The light's off our keeper, notice? No one's talked about him anymore. Yeah, the, the light's not on Havertz anymore. Do you see, do you see what I'm going? How, do you see the, the, the narratives, yeah. how they grow? The light has now gone to our centre-forward. So we talk about centre-forward and our two 22-year-olds. And one's out of form, one's got a rucksack on his back, and Jesus is to be debated if he's even a forward. Because I posted a tweet mm. at half-time with the average positions, and I, I'm going to say it to you now in the DM, telling you that the Jesus position was not a position of a number nine when your team is losing one nil at home. That wasn't it, mate. And um, so these debates, are they're going to happen. And I'm worried about how it's going to mm-hmm. impact the ability to stay calm in a crucial moment, the most difficult thing in football, which is scoring. You know, the only thing I'll add, and I, I'm only adding this because, look, I have to say what I truthfully believe. It doesn't mean I think it's right. It doesn't mean I don't accept that that there are other views. I don't think you can just exempt Saka from the conversation of players that need to lift their game. I think that would be letting him off too easy. I think there are talisman players in teams, and those players get evaluated differently, fairly or unfairly. Whether it's Messi or Ronaldo or Holland or Mbappe or you know Salah, if we want to see Bukayo Saka, I think, ascend into that group, then I think we have to evaluate him <clears throat> as the talisman for our team. And our talisman has one goal in 12 games in the Premier League. He has three open uh, non-penalty goals this season. He's provided quite a few assists and quite a few important moments. We still give him the ball for safety and security. I understand all that. He's getting doubled up a lot. I don't think Ben White's been playing particularly well, and I I don't think we've necessarily had the the players pulling those double teams away from him the way we should and could. I think we could switch our wingers from time to time. So Martinelli gets to attack on that right-hand side and put in crosses with his right, and Saka could face you know, a different challenge on the left, but I can't exempt him from, from the critique because I, you know, I mean, you, you could look at it through any prism you want. He's unlucky in that he hits the post or that he should do better. I think the other thing I saw from him in this game is that he, he hit shots. They're hard ones, but like early in the game, he gets in and he curls one right into the hands of the keeper. Now I'm not saying he should score from that. It's a very hard chance, but you know, if you hit the target more, if you hit the target harder, if your shots are better, maybe they get spilled. Maybe there are second, you know, second chance opportunities to clean up. Martinelli is playing like trash. Yeah, I'm not. Ex- not I'm not. I'm not, I'm not exempting Saka from the conversation. Mm-hmm. I said fair, fair, his fair. numbers are the closest to last year's numbers. If you look yes. at the other two, they have dropped off significantly, and that, that's why. What I'm you'll find that. is interesting. I think is that. Gabriel Jesus is by far our best expected goals player in the team, by far. I mean, he's the closest to elite, near the top of the numbers for XG per 90 in the Premier League. The problem with Jesus has always been the same. He doesn't finish at the level he should. So, And my point wasn't to put the boot in Nasaka. It's simply to say, my expectations for him are through the roof, and so I think he has to carry some of the weight of this with the whole front line, which is underperforming. Um, Paul, I I do want to go through the incidents just Briefly for a moment, though, because, you know, we're talking about a game, not just a meta conversation. I want to talk about the Zinchenko thing because their goal to me, we talk about execution in the attacking box, but let's be honest, you guys, at nil-nil, we probably go on to win this game. Game state matters a lot. 
first of all, game state is why we wind up with 30 shots. But you know this. When you're level, you're a little calmer in front of goal, you're a little less panicked. When you're down a goal, you're trying to score two with every shot. You're trying to create the perfect pa- uh, uh, opening with every pass. The pressure when you're down a goal is greater, and the pressure on the opposition when they have something to protect is less. So the first goal matters. And the first goal is a comedy of errors and lack of execution in the box. I think Ben White gets beat twice in the buildup. I think he fails to cover the near post. But Sinchenko gets, you know, he just he gets in the way of Gabriel. It's a bad move all around. I'm curious how you think of that incident, Paul, and if you could maybe blend into that your thoughts on the ball going out and not having the camera angle to see it. Uh, well, I'll jump to that quickly. Uh, it's not a goal because it should be disallowed. So that bit's easy. Um, I agree with that, by the way. I, 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 what's weird to me is the image they used for VAR to say it was in. There is another image where the ball is less in. <laughs> so I don't want to make it too much about VAR because we conspired to give them a goal. But you got to have the technology. See, it's twice in a season we haven't had the technology to know if a ball is out. I thought it was more yeah. out than against Newcastle. I agree with you, Clive, who typed that into the chat. Yeah, go ahead, Paul. Um, look, on the goal, there's a lot to be said with the final defending on it. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, the goal comes from the cross-in from the from our right-hand side. That's not Ben White. That's Saliba over there. He's stretching across to the attacker who's putting in the cross. And it's... It's Rice, who's basically our right center back. He's in the Saliba spot. Like, they should probably should have scored off that initial ball in with Bowen in front of goal. That's really where all the chaos comes from. That the ball goes somehow, I never saw a good angle on it, but the ball somehow goes past Bowen's foot. But at that point, he has the goal at his mercy if he can get a foot on the end of that. If that goes in, I'm like, it's the simplest goal to analyze in the world. Should the cross have got in? I think Saliba does okay to to take a position. It's a really good cross, really good swinging angle cross. It's like you can't really hammer him too bad. He, he takes up a pretty good position, and it's wide off the, the touchline. But that right centre-back thing, this thing where Rice drops in as a centre-back, I think if he actually played as a centre-back all the time, he'd be good. But in this one, he's kind of slack. Nobody picks up Bowen running into the box. He's about as wide open as you can be. And then it's like, is the ball out of play? The ball's bouncing around. Like, you can go to Zinchenko and Gabriel for the final moments of this and the ball ending up in the back of the net. But really, they should have scored, and all the chaos came from the fact that Bowen was effectively unmarked running into the box off the initial ball. That could have been the goal there, and there's a lot less to discuss. In general, we have this issue with Zinchenko. It's not just what he does defensively. I think he makes uh, the simplest version of it, and I think it's a bit more complicated than this, is he makes the other defenders nervous. And so they overcompensate, they overcheat. Like if you were lining up with uh, Saliba, Gabriel, and the left back was a nun in... uh, it wearing a, a nun's cassock, whatever that's called. It wouldn't matter that she was actually pretty quick. It wouldn't matter that she was really good in the center of the park and could distribute, distribute like a ninja. Defensively, even if she was roughly in the right spot, marking Mo Salah when he cut in, you're going to automatically be doing different things because you're not confident the nun is going to cover the player. 
you're going to make some nervier choices, you know, should I, shouldn't I moments. I just don't think there's the trust in the back line with Zinchenko there that even though things like on the goal, I'm not sure he does too much wrong, but the other players don't have the confidence around him that he's going to execute his role and it puts them off their job and they cheat to his or they don't. He's because like very often he's in the roughly the right spots doing roughly the right things and it all turns to a shower of shit. And I just don't look at when you have Tommy Yasu there and you have a back four that's like that, we have a defense that can't be beat. And when he's around, I don't think it's really his fault on this goal. And yet we're just nervier. We're skittish. We're like, oh, gee, oh, fuck. Oh, gee, he came off my. There's a lot of this, it came off people's. And it's not even Zinchenko that it's happening mm. to. So mm. it, I just have a whole different feel. And I think they do when Zinchenko's the fourth defender. Yeah, it's weird, right? I, I still can't help but think the bigger issue we have with Zinchenko than his defending, his pure defending are the giveaways, you know, the, the dumb plays with the ball at his feet. Like there was one, I mentioned this on the instant reaction. He had a back header, like just a blind back header where he's trying to back head it, I guess, to someone on our team, let it roll down his back of his head. And it was right to a West Ham player and went to them like too many times that I think he does that stuff. Whereas in the defensive moments, you know, winning headers and defend, you know, lining up to, to defend situations. I think he does. Okay. Clive. Uh, so there's that incident. I mean, I don't want to go into the refereeing, but basically no. I think we all agree it's probably out. We all agree there should be a camera angle there. It is weird that this is the second time in a space of a couple months that we've had a goal that probably should have been disallowed due to a ball being out of play, not able to be because there's no view of it. Do you have anything to say on that? I, I don't want to make it a big thing, but it's certainly a thing. I mean, if it stays nil-nil, <laughs> I think that that does change the game substantially. Yeah, it, it looked, I just happened to be sitting right near that looking down and my gut feeling was that looks out. You know, he he was on the slant down in a little Astro that rolls off the pitch. He was halfway down the Astro when he got it back into mm -hmm. play. And um, and so it looked out to me. But a couple of things around the goal, Elliot. How many times this season did it feel like we concede from the first shot? It feels like that every time. Much. It feels like every time. And people don't do much. They get into our box and bang, chinny Arsenal will give you the first goal. It feels like that. Just seen an Orbino tweet just come out after conceded fifteen or eight goals for the last fifteen shots. Mm. That's not great, is it? You know, so yeah. that's not great. So that that brings up some worries in us because we we've seen that before. The first shot they scored changes our afternoon. If you add to that the fact it's another touchline decision, which brings back the Newcastle stuff, which again, I think Arteta was misread. You know my thoughts about that. This is all about technology, not about the people. And the technology's come back to hit us again. And what what could he say? I knew it's going to be going. No one I knew it's going to be going in the ground. Michael Oliver went up to Odegaard and he spoke to him calmly and quietly. And I knew he was saying. We can't see it. We're going to have to give it. And that's crap. Mm. Because the problem is, the linesman, it's very hard for him to see it through the net and around Zinchenko. He can't see it with any conviction. So what's he going to do? He's going to not, he's going to give the goal because he knows it's going to be checked. Well, it can't be checked. 
We're in this virtuous circle of doom. And we know what's coming, and it just hurt. It, they didn't do anything. One move, and they get such a huge... They get their game, though. They wanted. They get it. And they just squeeze in. And I've got to say, they were very good at it. Hey, they didn't even care if you were in their box. They made their box, their own personal penalty box, smaller. And, and just mm. block the shots. And um, it's, it's very hard to take, although well-executed. It's hard to take, you know. Um, and I think it hurt us. But you know what, Elliot? Another thing I noticed, when the goal was given, there was no anger from us. There was no uproar. And that just tells mm. me we were flat. We were flat as a team. You know, I don't know if you saw the Man City handball in a week, you know, from Anana handball. Did you see their players? Did you see them all go crazy? I mean, literally all of them. Rightfully so. Yeah, and they went crazy on it. But they were so engaged. We were engaged at that at Newcastle. We've been flattened out a little bit. We've been flattened. And there's a picture going around at the moment online with our players that are out injured. And it's starting to feel like we're missing a bit of energy and power from that injured group. You know, we, we missed mm. injured and suspended group, shall we say. We, we missed them. And I just feel we're looking a little bit jaded. And that may be some of the issues around execution. A lot of that is timing. Timing. I guess. Yeah, you know, it's. I know it's been there all season. I'm prepared to give him a pass a little bit on this one. And I bet you Arteta, will, going back to the data discussion, Arteta will be genuinely pleased about how we played in this game. Oh, he, look, I mean, there's. yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, the numbers are saying this is unbelievable. I was just going to read some quotes out from him. I mean, you look what we've done in the game, how much we generated in the game, and to see the results is very disappointing, but they were better than us in both boxes, which I agree. They had mm -hmm. two shots with the penalty three. We had 30. I don't know how many touches in the box, how many situations, how many open goals to score, and we haven't. In football, you have to do that better if you want to win, and today we haven't won because of that. And for the rest, the team kept trying and had an incredible attitude again. On missing chances is interesting. It is what it is. We have to try to generate. If we don't score goals in 30 shots, we have to do 50 or 60 to try to score. It's the only thing. I cannot imagine a game that you have more dominance, more touches in the box, less situations of the of the opponents against a really good West Ham side, but today it wasn't enough to win the game. Um, on whether he's frustrated uh, from losing after dominating the stats, it is, but this is football. When the team generates that much, normally you're going to win games, and that's the way we've done it. Because as well against Brighton, we generate so much. Against Liverpool as well. Not so sure about that. But we score goals in different ways, and we have to make another step in that area to win the game more comfortably, for sure, because today the team deserves to win the game, and there's no question about that. I think what makes this a hard conversation goes back to what I said initially, which is, in my view... There is no question that you could simply write this off as one of those days in football. If I didn't feel that there were a lot of one of those days that we've been having. When I tell you that we have 11, what is it, five penalties and 11 set-piece goals, and from open play goals, we're below teams like Forest and Bournemouth, and, and you know, you look at, and Wolves, I don't think you can chalk that off to just this was one of those days. Um, and so it is fair if you want to say it's the players not being really the, the high-level elite final third players you need to win titles. I have some sympathy for that. 
If you want to say it's form, I have some sympathy for that. And if you want to say it's a little bit of tactics, a little bit of, can we create more transitions? Can we overlap more? Or do we sacrifice attack for control? That's a thing that's being discussed a lot. I want to talk about that. I also want to talk about the players that played well and where this goes and what that means. But we have to do one critical thing first. And I think you all know what that thing is. We need to talk about increasing the talent level. It's one of the critical conversations. And I think if we're going to talk about that and we're going to be serious in talking about that, then we know that starts with Indeed, the hiring platform that lets you attract, interview, and hire all in one place. With Indeed's instant match over 80% employers, get quality candidates the moment they sponsor a job post according to Indeed data. Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree. That's a lot of agreement. Can't find that kind of agreement in politics and sports. I mean, go on Arsenal Twitter or Arsenal in anything and, and type something in and see if you can get 93% agreement. Maybe Spurs are shit. You can get that. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. I mean, I look at it. Why would you go on 40 job sites? Go on one. It's that simple. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now to support our show by saying you heard about it on this. Support the show. Say, I heard about it on the Arsenal Vision podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms to supply. You need to hire? Question mark. You need indeed, exclamation point, Clive. Is that enough of that? Indeed. Got it. Can we stop for a minute before we go throwing the baby out with the bathwater? Can we take a minute to do the positives, to talk about the fact? You you know, I, I was looking at my tweets. I was looking at my notes. I was looking at my Discord messages to see where my head was at for most of this game. And it's pretty funny because... Right before their goal, I tweeted, we play some fantastic dominating football, don't we? And then they scored. And Paul, I'll start with you on this. I think we are so desperate for a title and so worried that any slip up means we won't win the title that we are at risk of missing just how phenomenal we are at a lot of the important stuff in football. Most teams don't have 75% possession. Most teams don't get 30 shots. Most teams don't generate 2.7 XG. Most teams don't restrict the opposition to next to nothing. Granted, we conspired to kick it into our own net. So set that aside for a moment. If I'm Mikel Arteta, I'm begging for reinforcements in January. And the reason I'm begging for it is I'm saying, I've done what I can do. Arsenal Football Club plays the most dominant football in the league. I need my players to finish it off in the right way. And I'm not sure I have enough to do that. Can we at least celebrate Martin Odegaard dripping quality on the ball, Declan Rice controlling the middle of the park, um, you know, our ability, Saliba and Gabriel, who are just so fantastic at recovering and progressing it. In so much of what we would have wanted Arsenal to do, if you go back three, four seasons ago, when we were watching Liverpool and City with Envy, this was the football we wanted to play. It's the finishing stuff that 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 isn't there and we need to fit work on that. But do you want to maybe just speak for a moment on the degree to which our football is executing at a very high level at a lot of the core elements you need to do to win football matches. Yeah, look, our defense and our midfield has been, uh, I'm talking about our deeper areas of our midfield, which coincide with Declan Rice, have been an absolute rock this season in a way I don't remember in living memory. Our centre-backs, that pairing with Rice, 
is just phenomenal. When when White is fit and firing, and he finally, I think, is back to that that level again, <clears throat> um, it's just an absolutely phenomenal back line. And we need a couple of uh, we need Zinchenko, but we also need Tommy Yasu or Timber in that lineup so that we have the horse for the course at different times. That's an absolutely tremendous unit. Mm. I think you've got to take, when you read off your stats about this season and how we're performing and, you know, goals versus expected goals, et cetera, and the contributions, I think you've got, to, for me anyway, here's how I look at it. We haven't been very good attacking until very recently. Now, there might be those for that's a for whom that's a jarring uh, sentence in that they're like, but we're still not, so what? We're still not producing in terms of attack. But you can see the attack now. You can see the brilliance of our build-up play, of our creative forces, because we finally have Jesus, Saka, Odegaard, White, fit, firing. And I know there's the so what question. You still got to put the ball in the net. But the attack has arrived. Unfortunately, Martinelli shagged. And what he needed was to be rested for a game and freshen up and bring in the other player that plays instead of him, and we don't have him. And when we want something a bit different from Jesus after 60 minutes, because we tried the Jesus thing and it almost worked, but it didn't quite, so we bring in the other guy, we don't have him. And when we want the tall guy to come in for the back post from the curlers from the right-hand side, we don't have him. But that isn't the same as... We're not playing some brilliant football with those players from the right-hand side. That isn't the same as saying our football hasn't finally shown up like it did for some of its best uh, uh, phases of last season. There, we're almost there. We're really almost there. We're very l- unlucky in this game. And like this whole, it's so results-oriented. We've had bad wins where we got one goal, fluky or we didn't play that well but we've got a goal towards the end of the game and we walk out in that we're like the narratives kick in oh you're a great team if you play shit and you still win you know that narrative that's mm-hmm. the sign of a champion i've never understood that i think you're a great team if you play well <laughs> that's usually the best indicator that you're a great team yeah now there were some great teams specifically man united who seem to win a lot of championships by playing shit football but still winning Mm. in in added time so there's probably a little bit to it but man do we lean into if we win we're great if we lose we're absolutely terrible and the world's coming to an end i see issues with this team my primary issues are we need more options um and we need more off the bench and we need to be able to rotate these guys and okay we're not going to sign three forwards in january but we need to sign a forward that we're as happy with him being on the pitch as we are seeing Saka or Martinelli or Jesus, and they can rotate and maybe Jesus plays, you know, moves to the left and this guy plays through the center, or maybe he's a really good goal scorer and left winger. And like Saka does seem to be able to play and play and play. And I don't buy it. You know, we won't tangle over it, but like, I think your demands of Saka are entirely unreasonable, but we won't get into it. Um, he's 22. He's absolutely fucking fantastic. 
And I'm sorry he doesn't keep putting the ball in the net all the time on demand. And yes, he's going to have chances and he's not going to take them. But I watch other players. I watch Haaland. I watch Salah. They have plenty of games where they have chances where you can't miss that chance. And they did. They lead the league in big chances missed. Of course they do. I totally agree. By the way, just to be clear, my point was I rate Saka as our best player. And as such... Yeah, have expectations on him uh, that exceed one goal in 12 games. <laughs> yeah, but that's on you. That's on you, right? Well, you have expectations. <laughs> no, it's not. He's doing Do you think everything. that's enough of a return for him at his level? As yeah, his caliber I think he's doing absolutely everything okay. that anybody could reasonably ask of this guy. And yes, it's frustrating. And yes, he has every second game is a chance you can't miss. But guess what? Those chances can, can and will be missed. They're usually under 50%. And you get a chance out of nowhere. Are you like, I just think he's been lately, he's been fantastic. Yeah, he could put the ball in the back of the net a bit more, but that's pretty typical of a 22 year old. He does it pretty well. Uh, and like, I don't think, uh, I just don't think we, the collective we, should go there to looking at Saka. He's the best fucking thing we have. And I think he's doing great. And the problems are that we're not switching it to the left, that we're not getting the contribution from the left, that we're not mixing it up enough that it creates the space for him that he can do his thing. Now, don't get me wrong. I'd like to have seen him put – it would have been really nice if he'd put one or two of those away recently. I think he's doing fucking great. That ain't where our problem is, I'll say that much. Um, and we should – protect that internally with our dialogue and put the pressure where it needs to be, which is we need other areas to step up. We really do. I guess. I mean, just see it differently. I mean, I, I think if Mohamed Salah really? had 14 goals this season, as a Liverpool fan, you could say that's not where the problem is, and you'd be right. But Mohamed Salah should get 20 every season. Um, yeah, but Mohamed Salah's guys charging down the left-hand side of the pitch, opening it. up his side. I get it. He had 1v1 versus Zinchenko, our nun in a cassock, um, ran around here and was had the goal at his mercy. Okay, okay. But so if we're going to be fair then, you watch it. Uh, and, whoever's, and Xhaka, whoever's uh, sorry, Saka had six players to beat time and time again. Okay, just, just everybody listening, just watch it. Judge for yourself. I'm, I'm not going to put my thumb on, on the scale. Just go watch the moment where Saka is played in by Odegaard, clean through on goal with no defenders between him and the goal, and as a heavy first touch and hits the post. And that happens off, to every player. his right foot? It's a really... From a, 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 a hard can, angle. Can I, can I, no, 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 the, no, no, no the, the, just watch it again. The first, the first touch takes him too deep and too wide, and now he's got a hard angle. He is in. He is completely in. If his first touch is controlled closely, he opens his body and he passes it in the goal. And, and by the way, every player, like Holland has that happen. Salah has that happen. Mbappe has that. That's not my point. My point is that we shouldn't have sacred cows in the sense that you you cannot the player who's playing best can still play better. Saka is in our front line by far our best player and our player playing the best in my view. That do, I don't think that exempts him from an uh, an inquiry into whether he is delivering enough at this moment. And I realize there is a thing about Saka too where criticism of him is not taken particularly well. 
there's no question Martinelli and Jesus need to do better. And if you want to do the finger pointing thing, you can point it there first. I think the whole front three, all of them, Bakayo Saka will go home after that game and say, I left some stuff out on the pitch there, as any great player should. And I'm sure he will give it to Fulham in response. But you know, if your if your best attacker is one goal in twelve, and and you know had a big opportunity in a game to turn it and didn't take it, he's going to certainly be looking at himself. And I don't think there's anything wrong with us saying it as well, without saying that I'm getting stuck in. I just I don't think he should be exempted from the conversation, Clive. That's more my point. Yeah, well, I, I, I don't think he should be exempted, but I also don't think we should be spending the amount of time we are spending talking about him. When well, I agree, but Paul brought it back there, so I blame him. <laughs> a really big low and I think that's the interesting conversation because that's the guy that's really out of form I said, uh, which guy sorry Martinelli that's the guy yeah. mm-hmm. we're talking about we should be talking about the effectiveness every three days of our centre forward we should be talking about that do we have the right type of centre forward to, to allow Arsenal Football Club to evolve because the one thing that's on my mind at the moment, as a lack of connectivity between our front three, is a con- is a concern for me. I did see something saying that we sc- our front three have scored ten goals this season, you know, just between the front three. Now Saka's got a lot of goal contributions, so I look away mm-hmm. from him. If you want to pick on the goal stat, and suddenly Saka, who's started in our team as a left back, moved over onto the left wing, moved over to the right wing, and now Elliot and I will. I will agree, Paul, up to a point. You can't mention Saka to mention Salah. One's 22, one's a 30-year-old player, multiple African player of the year, £400,000 a week, and about to go to £100 million odd to Saudi Arabia to end his career. They're at two, and he's won the European Cup, the league. They're at two different parts of their career. The fact we have the expectation on this 22-year-old may have the question for us and the club. You know, that, that's what we've got to ask ourselves. And by the way, I should put both of them. I've long worried about the two 22-year-olds on our wing because everyone knows how talented they are and everyone's targeting them. And then the light shines to everybody else. And I look at the people in that interior. Jesus, we know he's great when he's great. Not always great. Havertz, we, we waited a while. And he's here now, just about. Odegaard, he dropped away, hip injury, he's come back, million touches, hasn't quite hit the goal scoring point point of view yet. Trossard, we're not sure we're gonna get there a little bit. One game brilliant, one game not so brilliant. There's no certainty there. You know? And so but I almost want to lay away from the guy that's got the most certainty. Do you see what I mean? There are there are there are it's all about priorities. There's one guy that's doing it. And the others I've mentioned throughout this season have had far greater barren periods, which are quite concerning. The fact we're second is a miracle. It's a miracle. It's down to a collective defensive structure and a collective way which we attack and set pieces. And in some ways, down to coaching. Yeah, <laughs> you know, in some ways that should give us hope. If we didn't have the set piece goals, yeah, and the control. In we'd some be ways, nowhere. that should give us hope. It should give us hope yeah. because. When the form returns, and we're talking about this in late December and the January window is about to open, when the form returns to that front three, we can keep them healthy, fit and fresh, the upside is much bigger than it was last year because our X-year gains was nowhere near what it is this year. You know, so we are 
on the right trajectory. Although I have worries about, I've worried about Martinelli really. I've worried about left hand side. I really do. I worry about it. Paul's yeah. rightly said it's having an indirect effect to how people can key on our right hand side. You know, it really is. It's having a massive effect. So we have to either change how we connect in our front three and maybe cradle the team with fullbacks, either make more underlapping runs. We lacked running through yesterday. We have to create some distraction to create space for the talents that we have. At the moment, it feels a little bit uniformed. We get the ball wide very early in our phase play and then we sit and watch and hope they can come out of dodge with their legs intact, then we play from there. And what teams are doing, fairly and unfairly, and West Ham were fair, they are not letting us out of that little cul-de-sac. They're not allowing us to connect, and we are not being aggressive enough to to underlap or overlap those guys who create them the space they need to do their stuff. And when we look into the middle of the box, I'm afraid our centre forward is standing right next to the guys on the wing. And if I don't care, mate. That, that can't work in that game state. If we turn it up, it works. If we turn it down, it doesn't work. Yeah. Can, I, can I add on that? Like, mm-hmm. I agree with everything Clive says. I think the difference between this year and last year in terms of our attack, like, I think we're now finally really ca- clicking on the right-hand side. The problem is, no matter how brilliant we are, uh, mincing them and rinsing them on the right-hand side, they know where the attack's coming from. And last year, we could hurt them from either side. And come in, like say what you like about Jacka. Um, as simple as he made his game, he made it simple. The patterns were there. They all keyed off each other. It got Martinelli into more attacking positions where he could hurt their defense. Something's a little off this year. Um, it hasn't hit the heights. Martinelli looks a bit jaded. We don't have the options. We don't like. Trossard, we're still kind of, where does he play? Zinchenko, I think the def- his defensive concerns now are taking away from our game generally on that side. And the whole left-hand side feels unworked out. And we got a bit of a jaded Martinelli. We need some depth. We need some rotation options. We need stuff off the bench. After 60 minutes, we should have brought on players that took us up a level, that stretched legs, that gave them new things to think about from the left-hand side. And I think we went down a level, weirdly, when we brought on our subs. Um, so it's not like I don't see problems here. I just mm. think, actually, the right-hand side is not our problem. Those guys are starting to find each other at their highest levels. But they need stuff from the left, which will also open up the middle. I really think it's all about the left. Then Jesus even will have a little bit of of room to but when they know it's coming from the right they can lock down everything else Clive yeah again on my walk I was thinking and listening to different podcasts sometimes you listen to other teams it's quite good to see your own team Mm. and what's what's happening maybe in football see what you guys think we have a first level mentality want to get our best players on the pitch you know Brighton was perfect two days a few games later it, it doesn't feel so perfect anymore um we've been analysed well. I wonder now, is football become a bit more transient? Not systemically or principle-wise, but selection-wise. A bit more transient. I see that Brighton did like a, a back four diamond and a, almost like a front six, and they rinsed Spurs to pieces. He changed his system for that day because he's been looked at. They're, they're 
almost triple two build up down the center was looked at. So they went into wide areas quicker, made sure they controlled the transitions, made sure they pressed Spurs because Spurs wanted to progress out the back, and they changed what they do. People have looked at us, the laptop boys have looked at us, and they see where our, our, our talent is. We have to change what we do. When Man City came to the Emirates last year with Bernardo Silva as left back for the first half, we, our eyes were wide thinking we were going to rip them. They made a change at halftime and Bay lost the game for the season and won the treble. They found their balance. I still feel we are to find our balance that works in the games that matters. And to go through this is all part of the rhythm of a season and the evolution of our team that we need to see. And I've had some comments about certain people, players recently, and people try to defend them. That's their right. But let's see. Let's see what happens in the evolution of our team on the left-hand side because we've changed there and other things need to change to protect the talents which we have got in the 200 club that are world-class potential. We have to readdress that side of the pitch and what it looks like. You know, and even that means party coming back in when he's fit, Declan Rice being more of a player in that role, how we connect that side. I don't care what it is, but it will change because this won't continue. Because if we can sit here with our hoodies on talking about the lack of balance in our left hand, right, don't you think the guys at Arsenal are not thinking the same thing? I guarantee yep. they are. I guarantee it. All progression, fitting that ball in. Underlaps, overlaps, getting around, running through, distracting people, making sure you can't key on people for too long because we're getting keyed on in these wide areas in particular. It's not a surprise we're having this conversation because <clears throat> we got a guy on the left who scored 15 last season, 15 non penalty goals, who's on two. And a guy on the right who scored 12 non penalty goals last season, who's on three, halfway through the season. And if they finish on four and on six by the end of the season, yeah, I guarantee nothing. you, we will not finish on top. So, <laughs> right there, my son. Like You're that, absolutely that, right. that math is pretty easy. And maybe it is. When I, I laid out those three pillars, you know, may, maybe it's talent, maybe it's tactics, maybe it's form. Maybe it is just form. It is the most unsatisfying, deeply unsatisfying answer when a fan base is mad, when a fan base is worried, go in the market, get someone better, the players are no good, the, you know, whatever it is. What's deeply unsatisfying is to just tell someone, it's not going for us in front of goal right now. Yeah. It's not going for us. And it will. Because, first of all, you don't know if it will. You only know what's gone before. You don't know what will come after. And form just feels too much like it's chance. Unfortunately, with football, football's so heavily involved in chance because it's so low scoring. I mean, may, if the camera angles are different, it's nil-nil at halftime, and we probably go on to beat West Ham. Mavropanos' header, you want to hear something pretty incredible? We had 10 chances in the game that were better on expected goals than Mavropanos' header. 10. What's header if half of those way? fly in, it's 5-2. His flies in. None of ours did. You know what I mean? So it's like, it, it's deeply unsatisfying to put things down to form. But, uh, I mean, I, I watch how we play, and I don't, you know, I don't know that I see something we're doing wrong. You know, I watch Liverpool a lot, too, to try to see the difference in what they do. Liverpool games are more stretched than ours, and maybe that's by design. Because maybe they want to be able to create more transition moments where they can get players into space. And maybe there's something to that. We'll see over the course of a season, will Liverpool's more stretched games mean that they concede more goals and wind up dropping more points? 
Or will it allow their dynamic attacking players more good opportunities to win games than ours get in a very compressed part of the pitch? We play more like City. But we don't have the battering ram in the middle. We don't have the dribblers on the edges. At least not based on take on success rate right now. So, uh, yeah, Clive, you want to come back on that? Yeah, I, I just want to say that, again, the Liverpool-Arsenal game was a very direct game from both from both teams. We were We were quite direct. They were quite mm-hmm. direct. So the game was naturally stretched. We chose not to allow them to counter-press us, and they were trying to do the same thing. That's what I'm saying about the game. The game is changing, mate. It's changing where we're doing different things on different days. I promise you, the game in that first 13, 40 minutes was was Brighton at home, repeat. It was. We were just, mate, we were, we were just going to win. And that goal changed everything. It changed the whole day. You know, and it created a game that we didn't have the tools for on this day to solve. Now, I kept saying to you in the IR earlier, I kept saying, I couldn't, we didn't have a solution. I never felt that before for a long time. We didn't have a solution on this day to beat that team once they were keyed in emotionally to protect that result. We didn't have the solution. Maybe a block shot could have flung off a shin to the top corner and we're off and running. Do you know what I mean? But it didn't happen. The block shots came back past us. Mm. You know, and it didn't happen. It's very difficult to accept that they had their day. But I have to hold my hands up and say, the underlyings are telling us this day is around, it's been around the corner. And maybe some of our set piece excellence and our defensive excellence have covered over the cracks of the fact that offensively our numbers are down. Yeah, and, and here's what's hard. I've seen some people say, well, we're Potter's, we're Potter's Brighton. Potter's Brighton routinely dominated games, but routinely underperformed their expected goals. And the argument is something along the lines of it's slow buildup or it allows defenses to get set and you don't get as good shots. And I understand the argument. Here's the problem. You can't ignore that last season, this Arsenal scored the most goals it's ever scored with the highest X, one of the highest XG overperformances recorded since you can go back and look at those stats. So it's the same team, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know that it's tactical, but I'll, I'll at least throw that over to you, Paul, to, to see if you think, is there a tactical component to this that you can see where you might say, I think tactically there's something we're doing that's leading to us getting lower value shots or easier to block shots or not putting players in the right position? Is there a tactical tweak you'd like to see? Not a personnel tweak, but a tactical tweak. I think our left-hand side, our patterns aren't worked out. You just don't feel it clicks. Like Martinelli, you want him on the left wing with chalk on his boots at a certain point in the move, and then you want to see him getting into dangerous positions with a little space on the edge of the box. You want Havertz arriving into the box, sweeping in, getting on the end of balls that are bouncing around. And, like, I just don't think we've worked out that left-hand side. We've had too much. We've been waiting for Gado on that side, for somebody to show up and play with personality and define that area. I'm and just going to do a go- spoiler on waiting for Gado. Gado never arrives. Just so yeah. Ah, spoilers. Okay. <laughs> waiting for Havo. And uh, he's finally started to kick in a bit. But it's it's only very recently that we've started to see things on that side of the pitch that we like. Now, if a, def- if a team like West Ham who can defend the box as well as they can know 
that the threat's all going to come from one side, no matter how good those patterns are on our right-hand side. And we play with a false nine, so you're not going to have a stand-up centre-forward in the middle, no matter how good he is. And I think he did everything we could have asked of him yesterday, apart from put the ball in the net, but you can say that about everybody who had a shot in front of goal. Um, we got to sort out that left-hand side. And we've got to have options. So, Like Martinelli can't play the Premier League, even if he comes back to form tomorrow. Um, he can't play all the Premier League games. He can't play Champions League at the emotional intensity it's going to be. When I look mm. at the second half of our season, I see real issues for concern. And it's mostly about options and depth. And I don't know if Havertz will ever get the simplicity that Xhaka brought to his game in terms of, there are other ways of doing it. It's not just that Xhaka isn't this unicorn who's the only guy who can play the left-hand side. What he showed was how a good player who could do, who was very intelligent about the job could create the patterns that gets Martin Ellie inside at times. He, he would push out, he'd make that diagonal run out to the left wing. You'd see it time and time again. And it was simple. And we had a way of building on the left-hand side. And that took... So, there were times when we'd be like, oh, look, all the attackers coming down the left-hand side. Our right-hand side didn't play so much in this game. And so, uh, like, I think we've taken some big steps up from earlier in the year. When we talk about the numbers for this year, this season, I think that's wrong. Because I look at our attack and I suddenly see two-thirds of it is really fucking good. Okay, Need more ball in the net stuff, but that will come. One third of it, not so good on the left-hand side. We've got so much that has clicked into place in the last, I don't know, three, four, five games where I recognized two-thirds of our attack, and I didn't earlier in the season. It was all kind of, I'm trusting it's going to come. It really should come. We've got the, the, our back line. We've got the center. We've lost a little bit off the back line because it's always Zinchenko, and I think don't think we've the same level of confidence in our defending at the moment. So we've lost a little there. But it's a, to me, it's all about, I don't know if Havertz is really the guy to develop those patterns, but he has to be. That's our bet for this year. So they've got to work out that. The Xhaka thing, Havertz finding his own way of building those patterns so that Martinelli can, get it, can mix it up and isn't always 1v2. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I... I wonder if there's also just a real commitment to control that sometimes doesn't allow games to get stretched enough for us to to take advantage of a talent a, a, a talent advantage. And one thing I wanted to touch on with that, Clive, is the subs. I don't think the subs were particularly good in this game. Um, you know, Nelson, who I think has given us some great sub appearances, I don't think this was among them. Um but I was disappointed Smith Rowe didn't come on sooner. Now I realize he's just back and we're projecting what we think a Smith Rowe could be, whereas Mikel probably knows a lot more clearly what a Smith Rowe could be. But the 78th you know, I, minute, right? Yeah, I think that's a reflection, Clive, of the fact that I'm not sure Smith Rowe is a controlling player, is an off the ball player in terms of pressing and counter pressing, things like that. But we know he's a direct player. I mean, he almost had that one, he, that, that would have been special if he uh, was able to get his head to that ball when he made the deep run into the box to the back post. Were you a little disappointed not to see him sooner? Because especially I thought in the left eight that Trissard grafted and did all the things that, you know, we know he he will give you, but I don't think the execution was very good. I would have loved to have seen Smith Rowe get an earlier shot at that. 
<clears throat> yeah, sometimes I feel like a Smith Rowe meanie, I call myself, because I listen to everybody talk <laughs> about Smith Rowe in the pre-pods. Like he was going to start, I'm thinking, well, Trussard's going to start. He's, he's surely yeah, going to start, and he needs to start. He needs to do well because his future needs to be as an interior. But I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about Trussard as the second midfielder in a midfield three. If you know what I mean, um, I don't think mm. he can play facing his own goal. If that makes sense from a mm-hmm. defensive point of view. I think he can get bounced off the ball. He doesn't run back and and duel. So we missed the dueling ability. I'm not saying that was massive in this game, but it was enough to create the things you want to see at it, which is mini transitions. You do that by winning your tackles, and then once you've you got broken play, you can do your thing. So we missed that, and Havertz had provided that a lot this season, you know, that, that dueling ability. So, yeah, on Smith-Rowe, he, he certainly looks better, you know, you know, to the eye. You know, he looks fitter, slimmer, leaner, and he, yeah, he <laughs> and so yeah, he's definitely he's definitely got himself out of McDonald's, that's for sure. And he's doing the right things, how he's living. And he made that run, and that tells you the kid's intelligent. He'd watch this game, and all this game not not say all this game needed. It needed that direct running. It really did. And it just it was like the light shone and oh there you go. He didn't quite get there. But then what happened is it's what happens to us, Elliot, and I haven't done a full rewatch yet, but I felt people were comfortable outside of the block. He then dropped behind the play and and stopped running through. If you can tell me anything else he did after that moment, I can't think of anything that jumps into my mind. Right? So, and and it's very difficult because West Ham took the spaces away. So when you have a when you have a crush set of players in a small frame, you don't want to stand in the tulips, mate. You stand outside. That's exactly what they wanted. So you have to time it and run through the block. You have to run through it over underlap, overlap. You have, to, you have to run through, and we missed our direct runners. You know, and Havertz is a direct runner, and Swift throws another one. If I'm honest with you, uh, even though he's a bit more of a memory, you know. Let's be honest. Let's, let's be honest with this. Um, no, no question. But he has the attributes to do that. Ben White was definitely protecting the counter. Rice protecting the counter, Sleeper protecting the counter, Gabriel protecting the counter, Odegaard dropping deep, too many people behind the ball. You can't affect the areas you want to affect. And by the way, while I'm saying all this, we still had 30 shots. You know what I mean? It's like, it's a very difficult one. It is a difficult one. If I project forward, I'm thinking, okay, what's next? What's next for us? With, with Smith Rowe, Nelson, Eddie, if you, young man Elliot, is comparing Saka to Granit, uh, to uh, Mohamed Salah, you're not the only one. And that means expectations have raised in this group. They've raised in this team where we lose a home game, the world ends. So that's what people are thinking. Then I'm asking myself the question, have we got time for projects anymore? Have we got time for these hailenders to get what they want to get to? Or do we take the money for them and put it into the bank to get the glitzy YouTube players that we all seem to want? Right? Do you see what I mean? Have we got time to wait for these players? Is Nelson really going to do it? Is Eddie really going to do it? Is Smith Rowe really going to do it for us? Or do we have to have these painful conversations? You know, and I can hear people shouting into their phones right now. I don't know. I think I've got a feeling on the ceilings. I think I have. Smith Rose is probably the one I have the most doubt over because I just think his potential is sky high. 
you know, but we just don't know about him himself, his body, you know. So, but there's something in that boy. Do you know what I mean? There's well, something in there. To, I, I would wouldn't like to turn away from it. And you look at the two teams that were competing with for the title. And let's be honest. If this were a couple seasons ago where all our aspirations were were to get back in the top four, I would have killed for performances like this. By the way, if you offer me this performance again in every game we have remaining this season, take it or leave it, I'd take it before you finished offering. Yeah. You have to at least be humble enough to acknowledge that this game played 10 times this way is an Arsenal win nine of them, and we live in the world where it's a West Ham win in the one. I don't want to hand wave the issues. But I, I also do not want to suggest that a 30-shot high XG performance where we had a big chance go off the woodwork and another big chance missed and a goal that they scored that was probably out, you know, out of play gets ruled in and suddenly we stink because that's not the case. But I do think a team that is lower mid-table in open play XG and open play goals scored and you know has a little bit of a clown shoe situation at left back at times and isn't finishing their chances. So it's like I've been trying to say this whole pod and it's the hardest dance to do after a loss. Not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but acknowledging there are some systemic issues here. But if you look at the two teams we're up against for the title, City can lose Holland and bring in Alvarez, and they can lose Foden and bring in Grealish, and Liverpool have Nunez and Jota and Diaz and Salah and Gakpo. We do not have the firepower those teams have. And you look at what we opted to do this summer, and we went for Declan Rice, and we went for Kai Havertz, and we went for Timber, and all of those are good players, and I'm glad we have all of them. But we kept Eddie and Nelson. We re-signed Eddie a couple seasons ago. We re-signed Nelson this summer. We we kept Emil Smith-Rowe. And, and I don't think there's any evidence that those any of those guys at this point, Smith-Rowe may be an open question still, are going to have enough to push us over the line to the big, big things we want to achieve. And we find ourselves in January saying we need to strengthen the attack when we made some very clear choices about sticking with what we had. And so, Paul, I think... We have two important questions that we have to finish on. Let's do the summer thing first, then we'll do the Fulham thing next. Summer, uh, summer, January, I mean. Are you in the camp that a, a an attacking reinforcement must arrive in January to ensure that we don't fall short as a result, as a direct result of a failure to not only you know uh, finish enough moves, but have enough firepower to get the goals because we're bemoaning Martinelli's form, which is dreadful. And I've been a little critical of Saka and maybe a bit of Jesus, but I'll tell you this much, God forbid any of them weren't available. <laughs> you know, So is it a must that we get more firepower in January? Yeah. yeah like the, the front three are so clear and like who's second to Martinelli. It, I guess Trissard. Yeah, uh, but like, you you just go, oh shit, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's not because you don't think Trossard is a good player. It's he's just not like that what? Player. Yeah, he's not that player. He's not really left it. We won't go into the Trossard story. There's a mm-hmm. conversation around that. He's obviously a very talented player. There are times we have loved him, but what he is not is a Martinelli substitute. And I know you brought up the the topic a couple of times, and I agree with it in one sense, which is, hey, why don't we swap our wingers from time to time in in a game? And I think there's a place for that, swapping Martinelli and Saka. Thing is, I don't think we'll ever swap Saka with anybody because that's how we build our play. 
And like it or or don't like it, that's how Mikel Arteta... If you like Arteta ball most of the time, that is Arteta ball. What Saka does on the right-hand side with Odegaard, um, with Ben White, is how we build our attacks 99 times out of 100. He's never going to swap into the left-hand side, even though I, I'm with you. I like the idea of our wingers swapping, giving them different looks. It'll happen once or twice occasionally in a game. But that is not going to be a tactic. It's always going to be our Saka from the right. So your rotations, your movements are going to be Jesus, and we've seen that very often, kind of dropping into that left eight pocket. That's where you'll get some interchange, which is fine and great and dandy. Martinelli, Jesus, those interchanges in-game, creating spaces for you. And we saw it in this game where Martinelli will be central and Jesus will be out on the left wing. There is... That's your rotations, if you're looking for rotations and movement. The problem we have is, for a game and a half at least, Martinelli has looked a bit jaded. Jaded. I was going to go with the Brazilian there. Jaded. Jesus. Jaded. Jaded. And, yep. And, uh, like, there's just nobody, like, we could try somebody else instead of of Jesus at striker, but it won't make us better. Like the drop-off between the front three, we need... I don't see us buying two forwards in January, but we need one who comes with goals. And I he doesn't need... I know we're all about centre forwards at the moment. Um, I mean, I just don't think we're... To get a really good centre forward... People talk about Haaland. Uh, like, look at the money that's been sent on centre forwards that haven't solved other teams' problems. So if we can find a great centre forward in the Haaland mould who'll give us goals, like Man United spent a lot of money on Hoyland. Um, we shouldn't get too hung up on the name of the player, but you can spend a lot of money on a forward and he doesn't really move the needle for you. I think we need a, a left winger with goals So because Martinelli can play central. We can do different things with different players. We need a guy who's as good as the other three when he joins the attacking line is really what we need. And um, it's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah, Clive. Thoughts on it? Um, Yeah, so I can can mix and match some things in forward areas. Now I can, you know, in my head I can put Havertz there and we can play party and rice together and put Havertz as centre-forward. I can... But Trossard has said a four because we've seen it and it's worked. Um, you can play Eddie because I was calling for Eddie to come on in this game against West Ham because I thought he needed a direct centre forward to occupy people. As soon as he came on, we had two big headers. So I'm not totally against Eddie, shall we say. <laughs> because um, So we can do things there when we're fit. We can use Vieira out wide. i tell you what we can't do at this current moment in time is that it's replace William Saliba or Gabriel properly if we lose them if we lose them we have no replacements then we're leaning into you know we talk about Trossard and Havertz as centre forward well the gap between Jesus Trossard and Havertz as centre forward is a lot smaller than moving Ben White inside and playing Cedric a right back that's a problem Mm -hmm. for us or going from Gabriel to Kibior you know? Yeah, <laughs> no, I, that's not as big a problem. If Sleeper's there, but I hear because the way we played out as a left, as a left sider, shall we say, that we three, the central centre back, we haven't got the replacement for him. I haven't seen him in the club. 
And it's a problem because a lot of our game is so Saliba centric, you know. And so, from a risk perspective, the biggest risk is in our backline on pure numbers right now. The day after we get nil to West Ham, trust me, man, I want two, three, fours to come in. I want to see Ossiman, I want to see Pedro Neto to come in, and I want all the Highlanders sold at maximum prices and FFP just to look perfect because that's what we all go through, right? And I also want a house in Barbados. You know what I mean? And, um, mm. and, and that's, that's fine. That's a grief we're going through. But let's talk about it from a business perspective, from a risk perspective. Arsenal need to be in the Champions League. 100 million quid in our bin. We need another set. We need another defender, a right foot defender that's dominant, that can play inside and out. That's what this club needs, primarily as a number one buy in January. What I would like is what Paul alluded to. Another wife man, really, really quick, could probably base play both sides and we are we are basically I'm asking myself does the evolution of Arsenal Football Club the team we are need a different type of dominant centre forward to maybe wake up some of the parts that are not quite at the same level they were last season probably yes when I'm not too sure when and I think Jesus is criminally underrated, and I can still say that he's not the center forward for every moment in every game. But the yeah. thing that you have in Jesus that's unique is he can step outside and be our best wide player in a game. He has that ability. And because he has that ability, you can go get more of a target man, battering ram type player. And I think with the amount of low blocks we face, a guy who will just win first balls and you know get, win balls so that we can get second balls and suddenly you have Kai Havertz and Ivan Tony for example in the box when Saka puts in an in swinger when Odegaard puts in an in swinger when Jesus beats a man outside and floats it to the back post you really do create a different challenge for teams maybe as a result then they're not able to be as fixated on Saka out wide and that solves some of those problems I know people don't think Ivan Tony is the guy I wouldn't turn my nose up at it because we're not trying to win a title next season. We're trying to win a title this season. And before people say, well, that's already gone, which is the ridiculous kind of shit that you hear after a loss. We play Fulham next. We we could put five past Fulham and be saying, remember, guy, do you remember you were laughing at me because we started the season saying what? When's the attack going to click? It hasn't clicked. When's it going to click? And then we had a couple games there where it clicked and Clive would come on the pod and laugh and be like, have we clicked yet, Elliot? And now we're back saying, oh, it's not clicking. What could click against Fulham? And Liverpool could get held by Newcastle. And we can literally be top of the table on New Year's again. And the City game in hand is at Newcastle. So we need them to have a bit of a resurgence in the next two weeks is what I'm saying. Final thing here, Clive, I'll stay with you just for a second. I think a lot of people are going to want to see changes against Fulham. And this is where I struggle. I think the hardest thing for a manager is to hold your nerve. If you think you have the right players out there and you think you played the game the right way and you think you dominated in the way you want to dominate, you cannot let the crowd push you off your spot. I'm going to say a really unpopular thing, aside from Kai for Trissard, I wouldn't change it. I'd keep Martinelli out there, and I know he's playing like trash, but we're not getting anywhere if he doesn't figure it out. So I'd play the same team, but with Kai for Trissard. I know a lot of people think that's just banging your head against the wall some more. Should Mikel stick or twist? Uh, Elliot, I agree with you 100%. Um, we oh. have to work. We have to work through this. We have to work. Hang on, this. I'm time stamping it. One second. Yeah. Well, okay, I, I started the podcast talking about Brighton. How long ago was that? I was so pleased with it. You know, and um, that was only the other day. And so 
you have to work for it, right? You just have to work through it. And if I can sit there and support, have a, I can definitely support Martin Ellie to work through this, and, and we and we all have to because he's the future of our club, right? One of the key, one of the key players, generational players. He's a little bit low, and he'll come back. And we just got to work through it. I think the simulation of Declan Rice into our team and the way he plays and the direction which he likes to play. It's something for us to think about and coach through. Now, he likes to go right. A lot of our players like to go right. I think we've got some work to do there. You know, that's just a little pattern change, you know, to to boost the other side of the pitch. But hey, look, that's easy done, man. That's a session. That's one train session. The way these guys absorb information, it's not the end of the world. It's got to stop conceding that first goal from the first shot. Mm. Teams don't deserve what they're getting from us, that's for sure. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Uh, Paul, you, you get to finish on this. I I stick with it, and I. it's not because I'm playing favorites, but I, again, I can't picture a world where we win the things we want to win this season if Martinelli has become a player who we can't rely on or Jesus isn't the striker we hoped he would be or you know they they don't score. And so while you could say give Leo the chance out wide or you could say you know give Nelson a start – there's not a world for me where Nelson becomes the left winger and we go on to win the title in the Champions League. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see it. Fulham don't have a great defense. I, I would I would give these guys the chance again in the hopes that you unlock something and then you go on that warm weather break and you, you have 20 days till the next Premier League fixture and you can go out feeling good as opposed to Martinelli going out feeling like he lost his place right before the break, having shit the bed against West Ham. I'd, I'd stick, but I'd, I'd just bring Kai back. Would you? Would you twist? Uh, no, I think you're spot on. I think you, especially given our options, you just let Martinelli go at it. He, he needs a game where he's a bit of joy and he starts to enjoy the game again. And maybe that's Fulham. What you really want is an option off the bench to take him off after 60 minutes if it's not happening for him. And that's our real problem. We don't have the options now. We may well have in this game with Kai, Kai back in, Trossard off the bench. It's not perfect, but we do have an option there. Yeah, I think you start Martinelli. I'd start our new left uh, attacker that we buy in January if I had him, but we don't. <laughs> and give Martinelli a game to get freshened up and to get hungry and to have competition you know, competition's a great thing to take some pressure off you so that you know you don't always have to do it. And and to do that extra thing, and all these guys need a little competition. Um, but right now, yeah, you go again with the same team, bring in Kai. Uh, it'll be a totally different game. It'll be Fulham away, not West Ham at home. The names are different. The game will be different. The look will be different, hopefully. Um, we... I was thinking as we were winding up our analysis, what what we should really be doing, you know, Clive keeps talking about Brighton and it just keeps reminding me. We should do our analysis of our games two games afterwards um, because you, then you know what happens next Good and point. you see the context. Yeah, And you we would never talk about games the same way if you talked about them a week later, like who who wants to hear a, an analysis point, from a Paul? week and a half ago? But you would never analyze them the same way I, I, in many aspects of it. 
You to, just to your wouldn't. point, if we play this team and win five nil against Fulham, we're going to look back at the West Ham game and say, yeah, we were playing great football. It was just one of those days in the Fulham game. It was one of the days where it goes for you. Now, having said that, to be fair, if we play the same way and have all the same problems and lose to Fulham, <laughs> then we're going to yeah. see that this was, this was a big issue. So. Certainly your highs won't be as high and your lows won't be as low looking back. But And it doesn't mean you wouldn't criticize and analyze. I just think you'll see the context a little bit more instead of what feels in... This feels like a one-off how we feel against West Ham. Um, and certainly in the extremes, it's a bit of a one-off. But we look at... Like, this was a game in which we were dominant, and yet it was a disaster. And guess what? Your analysis... You don't really join the dots till the the dust is settled and you see what it really means over a number of games. Like, who cares the result of one game? There's always going to be a result in a season. This isn't a knockout competition. Hmm. And so we draw these big conclusions, and there are conclusions to be drawn, but it's going to take a little time to sort out what's important and what's not. The, the left-hand side thing has been a theme for a while for me. So mm-hmm. that's that's where my mind goes on this. we got issues there. I think it's pretty clear when we sign that 17-year-old center back, though, we're going to have all our issues fixed. Get get Jarrell Hado in, and, and it's all fixed. Mm. Stan, Mbappe, and Osimhen in January. Get your checkbook out. Uh, just kidding, but not really. Let's leave it there. Clive's on Twitter. Clive PFC. Clive. Thank you very much. Paul's on Twitter. Pause my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Losses are really hard to talk about and really hard to talk mm. about objectively and really hard to talk about in a way where you don't overstate the drama of the negatives or sweep them under the rug. Thankfully, we don't talk about losses very much anymore. We used to be really good at that. <laughs> Thankfully, we're not in practice much anymore and hopefully we won't be for a long time. Um... There'll be patron stuff prior to the new year, but I don't think there'll be a main pod prior to the new year. So I do want to wish everyone a very happy and healthy and wonderful and prosperous and and joyous and Arsenal-filled new year, title-filled, trophy-filled. We wish you all the best. Thank you for sharing your 2023 with us. I think it's been a good one. Maybe not as good as we'd hoped, but a good one by comparison to some, at least purely from a football standpoint, obviously. Um, And I think 2024 can be even better. So... Here's to you. Love you so much. And we'll talk to you after Arsenal 10. Full of them.